From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today, we bring you three different talks about writing. The first is my discussion with Suzanne Jaffe and Ann Tubble from the Thurber House about upcoming guest Chris Pavone. Then, Frederick Pinto will talk about the music industry with OSU student and Lantern reporter Ben Keith. And finally, we'll have my discussion with recent Thurber House guest Mary Jane Clark, who will reveal the secrets of suspense writing. Enjoy. I'm here at the Thurber House talking about the Winter Spring Evenings with Authors series. Tell me about Chris Parvone. This is a phenomenal debut novel that hit the New York Times bestseller list right out of the gate. A very interesting story that's part domestic drama and spy thriller. This is a married couple. They have kids. And basically, husband and wife don't really know each other very well. He gets an opportunity to go to Luxembourg. And she figures that this is a good way to start fresh. Because really, what she's been doing all the years she's been married has been a spy for the CIA. Another American couple shows up in Luxembourg. And that's where the expat comes in. And they are not quite what they seem. As a matter of fact, nothing is what it seems. And it's a very interesting story very tense, very well written for a first novel, for any kind of novel, got great reviews, and this is somebody to keep your eye on. I couldn't put the book down. Okay. So this is somebody that argues strongly for having your marriage partner investigated before you get married. Absolutely. Yes, there's no question about it. Okay. (laughs) That's that's the take home from this one. That was Suzanne Jaffe from the Thurber House. Read more about Chris Pavone at www.writerstalk.org. From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, I'm Ben Keith. Frederick Pinto is the author of The Sabbatical, a book about a music company executive who's fired and goes on to travel the world and find himself. Welcome, Frederick Pinto, to Writer's Talk. Hello, thanks for having me. In your story, the main character, Charles Barca, is fired in the first few pages. Is this a common experience in the music industry, that people will build a company and then suddenly be forced out by their investors? Well, not exactly fired. It's more like a forced buyout. Music entrepreneur that started a startup and ended up, you know, having to bring in investors and the investors ended up kicking him out of his own project. In fact, it's really a bizarre thing happened exactly a month after I published the book. You know, started founded the company, uh, I think, early 2000, uh, ended up, you know, building it to, to like a pretty high level of success. The conceptor of the company uh, kind of ends up getting kicked out of his own company. I was very surprised when I saw that happen. It kind of replicated exactly, you know, the storyline that I, I came up with with the book. It's certainly something that you see with, uh, with tech startups um, a lot of times. Interesting. You said that the music industry is divorced from reality. How bad is this split between what they see and what the rest of the world sees? Well, you know, for a long time, they were kind of neglecting and hoping it would go away. The industry for the first few years did everything it could. And when I say the industry, I I mean the major record labels, uh, the major publishers, uh, the big managers, um, everybody who sort of had a stake in the system, right? I mean, their interest was the status quo. Uh, The status quo was was doing uh, exceptionally well for them. All of it was sort of fueled by the CD. The internet comes in and uh, creates this, this format, the MP3, and people start sharing it. And the industry kind of does everything it can to maintain the status quo. 
including lawsuits, including, you know, pretending it's just a temporary phenomenon. You know, it, it, it can't continue this way. It took the industry over a decade to really come to terms with. How has this, how has the end of the world affected you as a lawyer? Were you fighting for the new paradigm or were you fighting a sort of holding action? As a lawyer, we're always, you know, our pulse is on the market because, you know, we kind of see, you know, who are the people coming to us for deals? Like, what is the most active segment of the market? Um, and it used to be, you know, record labels. Record labels had, you know, they would, they would bank on, on a certain artist or they would launch an album and, uh, you know, they would hope that it goes somewhere. And it was actually a big market, a uh, retail market that would feed in the revenues. And so, you know, there's a lot less traditional work of, you know, an artist coming and saying, okay, we had a 40-page uh, recording uh, agreement that we need you to review, and you know we're getting a, a $50,000 advance, you know, so we have the money to do it. Or same thing, a label saying, okay, we're gonna put in a, you know, a $300,000, um, uh, you know, gamble on this artist. You just don't see that anymore, right? The risks are a lot smaller. How do you think the changes in the music industry will be reflected in? the book industry, I and mean, you're just coming in at the very bottom level of this as an author. What changes have you experienced? Pretty much all the entertainment industries to different extents and in different ways. Music was kind of the first one to be attacked head on because, uh, you know, listening to music on a CD or listening to it, um, you know, on the internet is a very substitutable experience. It's something that is kind of the same. I mean, if you have an MP3 on your computer, you can end up burn, burning it on a CD. You can have the exact same experience. Or you can just listen to it on, you know, uh, your iPod or whatever. It, it, it's very similar to what a CD is. And an MP3 format is a very small format. It's very easy to sort of exchange it online. Whereas, you know, for movies, for example, you know, there were much bigger files. So, you know, it took a few more years before it, it, they, they really became easy to sort of consume online. And now you're seeing that, that now it, it's becoming a reality. Um, in terms of books, I, you know, I'm kind of very old school when it comes to books, I and mean, even with music, actually. I, I'm still one of those suckers that goes to the, you know, HMV and buys my CDs and puts them in my car, and I, I just like the experience of, like, opening the jewel box and putting my CD in and, you know, listening to a whole album over and over again, getting into the mind of an artist that I find interesting. And how does Charles Barca experience this? You say that he's sort of forced out of his company. What happens to him? Yeah, so Charles Barkley experiences this in a very direct way, right? I mean, he, he, he kind of, you know, built this, uh, this, this great online project, put his heart and soul into it, was very idealistic in terms of helping artists, you know, uh, break free from uh, the shackles of the industry, um, and then kind of gets kicked out. I mean, he looks at it from a very direct standpoint that, that, that you know, what's going on here? Like, you know, my whole reality is just... And, and you know, when you get into the story... It's a little bit satirical in terms of how his, uh, you know, how his whole notion of success was, was set up. You know, he's kind of described himself as a kind of a rock star in his industry. You know, the startup uh, CEO, hot shot. You know, he's got this hot artist girlfriend um, who immediately kind of, you know, uh, gets turned off of him, you know, when he loses his status. And what he kind of realizes in the first part of the book is how everybody around him uh, you know, was kind of really uh, interested in him for his social status, for what he had become, you know, this kind of minor rock star, uh, as, as he's described in the book. 
Um, and so very, very quickly, you know, his, his whole reality that he kind of set up for himself. Where do you think the music industry will go in the next 10 years, or even the whole entertainment industry in general? Where do you think they'll be 10, 20 years down the road? I think definitely one of the things that's happened is with uh, the rise of the internet is that you're seeing the companies that are organized around the content, uh, the publishers and the labels uh, and those kinds of companies have seen a, a dramatic drop in their business. At this parallel from this, the companies that have seen an increase in their business are the technology companies, right? So it took 10, 15 years of lawsuits and political lobbying and everything else for a system to be put in place where um, you know, radio stations have to actually pay a portion of the revenue to you know, uh, the content owners, the people that own the content that they're playing and that, that are bringing people in. Extraordinarily interesting. Thank you for your input. We've run out of time. But this has been Frederick Pinto. I'm Ben Keith. You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. Mary Jane Clark is the author of 12 Eliza Blake novels and two Piper Donovan mystery novels, which have together been published in 23 languages and frequently occupy top slots on the New York Times bestseller lists. After earning degrees in journalism and political science, she embarked in a career as in television as a reporter and writer, a producer and writer. Her most recent book is Footprints in the Sand, Welcome to Writer's Talk. Thank you, Doug. Okay. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you, and we're happy to have you as a guest of the Thurber House, mm-hmm. where you will be speaking tonight and enlightening people about the latest Piper Donovan mystery. Hopefully, yep. Um, and maybe reading from it is my guess, yeah, or reading from previous I books. I don't think I'll read too much from it. Um, I will talk about how they came to be and the history and. Okay. Um, I'm not the best reader. Really? Out louder. I feel like that's why they hire actors to do the books on tape. Okay. Know? All right. And they've done books on tape of your books, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, all so, of them. So you get to listen to somebody yeah. and say, that's a reader out louder that I really like. Right. Um, exactly. How, uh, how, how has that gone for you? That was a, a that's, question. That, that's been good. That, you mean the audio part? Right. You're, you get to, do you have, what kind of power do you have on that? Um, what kind of, the first, in the beginning, I didn't have any say about it at all. And then over time, um, I recommended someone that I like, mm-hmm. and they used her for uh, several of the books towards the end of the Key News, Eliza Blake book. And now, um, with the beginning of the Piper Donovan Wedding Cake Mysteries, they've gotten a new reader. I think they just wanted a new voice for the mm-hmm. new series. Okay. And it's a different character, mm-hmm. right? So you go in a different direction, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before I read the description for the Footprints in the Sand, let me note that I believe you live in Florida, at least part of the year. Part right? of the year, Part yeah. of the year. And we're talking today in January in Ohio. Right. So let me read this description then. It's the dead of the winter and struggling actress... And wedding cake decorator Piper Donovan is thrilled to be in the warm and romantic Sarasota, Florida, enjoying the powdery white beaches, soothing sands, and golden sunsets over the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I can't see how this is anything but attempting to make Northerners move. I read that and I thought, the dead of winter. Yes, that's exactly how we experience winter. Right. So, but I think you're, you're familiar with New Jersey, though. Yeah, you I, I grew up in New Jersey, New Jersey and I'm in New Jersey most of the time. I have okay. a place in Florida. I'm there, you know, depending. Like last year, I was there a total of 12 weeks. 
Okay, but that's what it's like when you're there. Powdery yeah. white beaches. Yeah,、oh, it's heaven. You just okay, fine. But it also gets hot in the summer, and the,、yeah. Florida has these giant insects, mosquitoes the size of your hand.、Uh, well, that's what they say, but you know, it gets hot in New Jersey in、that's、the、true. summer, and I bet it gets hot in Ohio in the summer. It, yeah, no, it's no, heaven. It, it, it's just it heaven. Never above eighty.、Mm-hmm. Sure.、Mm-hmm. So anyway, about the book, Piper and her family are there to celebrate her beloved cousin's wedding. Not only is Piper creating the sugar. Sand dollar festooned wedding cake. She's also the maid of honor. Right. So we've got several things going on here besides the golden sunsets、right. and all of that. Tell me the background of your book. How did you get started on well, this? Well, this is the third Piper Donovan、oh, wedding cake. That's okay.、Um, and the first one took place. In, it all takes place in one year of Piper's life. So the f- first book took place in November, and it was. Or actually, took place in December, and it's New York City and a Christmas wedding.、Okay. The second one took place in January in Los Angeles, and this third one takes place February in Sarasota, Florida, on the Gulf of Mexico. So, what I'm trying to do is each book. I hope there'll be twelve in the series altogether. Will take place in a different month in a different spot in the United States that would be perfect for a wedding at that time.、Mm-hmm. So now I'm working on my March book, and Piper's going to be doing a cake in New Orleans. Okay. Now, do cake decorators get to travel that much? Well, that we're taking a little <laughs> artistic license,、okay. but you know, here's the first book. Piper, Piper's an actress, and she's、oh. not getting a lot of work, so she goes home to do some work for her mother's bakery,、mm-hmm. and one of her best friends is a, an actress, another actress who she worked at a soap opera with. So she asks Piper to make her wedding cake, because of the soap opera, it gets on the internet and it, it gets a lot of attention. So then someone from Los Angeles asks her to do her、okay. wedding cake. So and this third one is her cousin, so that's not a stretch. Okay. Did you have to watch a lot of things like Cake Boss,、uh, cupcakes? No, well, you know, I watched them in passing, but really, what inspired me was that my mother. When I was little,、um, she used she had the Wilton cake decorating、oh, right. set、I、and think, the books. I think my mom had that as well. Yeah, the brown one that opened yeah, up. And, yeah, okay. And all the little piping tips and、mm-hmm. all. And she had one of the Wilton cake books, and she used to let the kids in our neighborhood pick out a cake, and she would make it for their birthday. And that's one of my like. Best childhood memories,、mm-hmm. and after doing the key news books, I I just wanted to get into a world a little more fantasy, family oriented.、Um, so that influenced the cake decorating thing. Okay. And then I took some cake decorating classes myself because, I, although I'm not the best cake decorator, I can at least write about. Okay.、Now. What has been your greatest success as a cake decorator? What did you keep a picture of, and you say that might be a Piper Laurie cake? Well, Piper I, Donovan. <laughs> we,、um, I have some pictures tonight for at Thurber House of some <laughs> of the things that I made. They're, you know what? They're by a master baker's standards. They're very amateurish, but I'm proud of them.、Okay. And、uh, as I say, the most important thing is I know how to write about it. Right. That's that's good. Well, that's good research to do because if you have anything that doesn't work, you get to eat it or you get to give it to people <laughs>、right. and things well, like and that. And pe- you know what? People get a big charge when you decorate a cake that you baked yourself.、Mm-hmm. My mom used to do that. I remember did she, she did a clown cake for one of my birthdays. 
I remember that picture in the Wilton decorating book. I do, yeah. the clown. The clown sort of over the, the mm-hmm. side of the cake. Yeah. I do. It was my 33rd birthday, <laughs> which is odd, but, but I don't know. So you've said, my aim is to lay out all the clues in your books in such a way that you don't even realize that you've been given the answer to the mystery until you get to the end and then realize, aha, it was there all the time, but I just didn't see it. Now, since you're intentional about it, as all mystery writers are, when does this aspect enter the writing of the books for you? When do you start saying, um, this is a good place to seed clues? Is this before you plan it out? Is for me, I have a general idea, but it, it, it grows, you know, as I get to know the set up my characters and know who they are, then I know what they'll do. And, um, you know, I find them doing things that I would never have known when I, you know, started at the computer. So everywhere that Piper Donovan goes to every location, somebody's going to die. Right. Okay. You don't want her to visit. Which is the difference between, you know, say the media thrillers that I wrote where it's professionals going out covering their stories and getting involved in mystery and suspense and you know that's a suspense novel the Piper Donovan ones they call cozies which I don't really love that that title because there's still a lot of suspense in the books and a lot of twists and turns and I still like to have that edge to the books but the idea is that Piper is an amateur and she wouldn't be out trying to solve a mystery. Right. So that's the difference. All right. So when you say a general sense, tell me how general. Do you know who the killer is when you start off or is that something that all of a sudden as you're writing you think this would make a better person? Well, it, it's, it, it's better if I know who the killer is okay. and many times I do but sometimes I don't, and I just I write all of the suspects so they have motive, and then at some point it occurs to me, you know, if I make it this one, it'll be the best twist at the end. My guest today is Mary Jane Clark, a recent Thurber House guest. More information can be found out about her at www.writerstalk.org. On your website, you've got a frequently asked questions and you answer a question about how you feel you've grown as an author you write like you write this answer I have more confidence now when I get stuck I don't panic I know that eventually the answer will come I just have to keep at it till it does what's your advice for sticking to it until the answer comes you just you you strap yourself to the chair (laughs) what part you know I wish I had advice that I could put into one sentence and tell you, you really could sell that sentence <laughs> to how many thousands of writers. But what is it for you? What's for the solution me, for you? Well, first of all, you have to put yourself in the chair because there are many days when I would rather do anything. I'd rather go to the grocery store than, you know, write. It, it's hard in the beginning. How do you get yourself in that chair then? That I, I force myself. I, you know, I, I treat it as a job. If I, you know, when I went to CBS, I was expected to come to work every day and work a certain amount of time, do my story, and, you know, get my paycheck at the end of the week. This is a job, too. And I, you know, people talk about writer's block, and I get that, but I really do think that there is, some of it is, you know, your brain is keyed in to sitting in that chair and getting something on paper. And the more you do that, even when you want to, you, f- you find that it's just start, even though you don't want to, you find mm-hmm. that it comes easier. Mm-hmm. So I think my advice would be, you know, sit down and write. And some days I might get 
all day long two paragraphs done. And other days I'll get I'll get ten pages. What, what do you do at the end of a day when you have two paragraphs? What's your? <laughs> I'm gonna just uh, <laughs> jump out the window. That's when you go look at those beautiful sunsets over <laughs> exactly. the so, Gulf. No, or else I'll just go in and turn on Law and Order reruns <laughs> and just stare mindlessly, you know, and say tomorrow will be a better day. Okay. But, the first book that I wrote, it took me two years to write two years to rewrite, and then it sat on a shelf for two years before an agent took me on and sold it in two weeks after she took that's me on. That's the two, 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 two. 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 Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the six years and an overnight success right. rule, you know? Excellent. Um, but after that, I had a contract for a book a year, and that makes a big difference when you know that you have a deadline, when mm -hmm. you know that you know, you're trying to build an audience and they're waiting for the book and, and the publisher is waiting for the book and they've paid you in advance. And they're calling. And yeah. Where's our book? Yeah. They they never have called me cuz I cuz of the CBS thing. I have the deadline mm -hmm. like to me it's a point of honor to make the deadline. Okay. I don't really ask. I think I've asked for like an extension once and it was for 10 days. That's when you weren't sure who the killer was. You had to come up that that one <laughs> I don't know time. No, when it was. <laughs> uh, now I, you said that it's a book a year. Mm -hmm. You describe it as 5 to 6 months of intensive writing. Yeah. And then um you know revisions and things like yeah. that. So 6 months yeah. to enjoy not writing. Yeah. Uh, is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well, the, but, you know, the other six months, you know, you're doing things like this, you're right. traveling um, and promoting the book and you need downtime. You know, it's not like a field that you can just, although I know some writers do and I feel guilty that I don't, like Stephen King, I heard the only, the only day he doesn't write is the 4th of July. I don't know. For me, wow. I need to have downtime in between because right. you get burned out and, um, uh, you know, and also you need time to think of what the next book is. A, a lot of my stories are very keyed into their location, so you know you have to visit them and research them. And so this means that Columbus is a possible setting. You never now know. Now that you've been here, you could be somebody. Yeah, you never know. The next book. I came down this that little that main street. I was really impressed. It's an adorable town. So no, it is. It's charming. I had no yes, idea. Yes, we always take charming. That is what we get for Columbus. The the beautiful, yeah. um, uh, especially after a snow like we've had I recently. Bet. The beautiful gray snow, yeah. the gray and brown snow. Really, oh no! I bet when it it's up. white, it's like that Main Street, and it's a wonderful life. You know, it's mm -hmm. like yeah, picture and postcard. That's how everybody describes us. Well. Everybody, we thank you. What are your secrets for writing suspense? I mean, what are the things that you've learned as you've gone on that you say, this I wish I had known, this really helps me? It's important to read other people's suspense. Um, it's important to have a whole chapter kind of moving to a certain suspenseful end. It's important to leave each end of each chapter with something, mm -hmm. you know, to force people to stay up late, uh, yeah, go and, in and tired to, keep to work, going, right. you know, to keep going because with suspense, you want it to be a page turner. Okay, who are the people that you go to for those sorts of things? Who do you look for and say, I really learned a lot reading this person? You know, I'm a pretty eclectic reader, and I don't just read suspense. Um, What's on your nightstand right now? Right now, I have the Hillary Mantle book, okay. the one, uh, the one before Wolf Hall, because I didn't read that yet. Mm -hmm. And then I, it's last night I was looking through the uh, on my iPad and the list of all the best books of 2012. So I made a list of about five or six of them I want to read as soon as I finish writing the book I'm working on now. Because when I'm writing, I don't read mm -hmm. uh, other people's stuff. I just 
But don't. this, uh, now, are you out of cycle because you're out writing, but you're, this is supposed to be your downtime. I know, but, you know, I handed in this book last March. It didn't mm-hmm. come out till January. Mm-hmm. It came out yesterday. Okay. January So you're 7th. coming off some downtime. Time, yeah. And, but the new book, the New Orleans book, I have to hand in March 1st. So mm-hmm. when I'm done with my, you know, promotion of this, I go home and finish Tom to Florida to finish. I'm going to go up to New Jersey to finish. I'm curious about, uh, since I maybe have read too much into the setting on this, because I thought, oh, she Uh was in Florida, she's Uh writing about Florida. Uh Um, How much does the setting influence you now? Um, Does it, are you one of those writers that say, I have to have my room in a particular place, and then when I look outside, I may start drawing things from looking across the Gulf of Mexico. Well, for this book in Sarasota, Florida, I mean, I've been going there on vacation since I was in my 20s, so I was able to buy a place down there eight years ago. So I go there a lot, and I really know that town. And um, it was so funny, at the airport, I saw um, some Amish people today, and I asked... um, my companion who picked me up, you have big Amish population here. And she said, yeah, nearby there is. And in Sarasota has the biggest Amish snowbird population in the country. People from Ohio, Amish. I had no um, idea there was an I Amish snowbird. I didn't know snowbird. there was. I didn't either. You think they're, you know, all staying home and not traveling and working, mm-hmm. you know, with their, on their farms or whatever. So that plays a big part in the story. And I didn't know that much about that part of Sarasota. It's called Pinecraft. So I went there and spent time there and, you know, mm-hmm. took notes there. Is there, uh, I'm, as you were taking notes, is there, do they do anything differently um, when they're on vacation? Like, we can use more electricity now, we can do... You know, I think that has to do with what sect Sector, you're in. Right. Because when I went in uh, to the area, there are a lot very modest homes. But some of them had electricity and others, you know, had propane. And But I learned, you know, a lot about that, the whole Amish right. um, culture. And it was very, very interesting. And the same clothes, which would be kind of hot. Uh, yeah, be really it's hot, hot down in there. Florida. I know. But you see I them guess. in there. You know, they've got like stock, like tights on, the ladies. And I think, oh, man. Just oh, right. Under the dress. Not yeah. just tights. Yeah, right. Not, oh, no. Okay. Not just tights. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but wasn't expecting but that. If they were not wearing flip-flops, you know, on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, that would be interesting. I'd never thought of that. Amish on a beach. Yeah, that's a uh, um, well. They you see them all the time down there, but they're all dressed, you know, with their bonnets and the outfits, and mm-hmm. um, but they go out and collect seashells in the morning. You know, you don't see them in the water s- right. swimming, but they're on the beach. And, and they use that as decoration? They probably do. That's really yeah. interesting. I wouldn't yeah. think that that would be something necessarily... That with, they would do. Well, we're off topic here. Yeah, um, talking that's about that. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about moving to other genres with your stories. Are there bo- are there movie projects in the work for you? There are always there... are talk about uh, more television than movie. Okay. You know, there can be a lot of interest and then it doesn't come together. I mean, I've had several times that things are supposed to be close and they haven't come together. Okay. And, and, and you know, now there still is talk, but I, that'll be just a bonus if it happens. Okay. I would love it to happen, but I think it takes luck, a lot of luck, okay. or providence or something. Now, your book's have an, you suggest you've got an interest in a variety of fields, mm-hmm. literary figures, science, art. What kind of research do you get to do? We touched on this a little earlier, but how much for each book? Uh, you're researching Sarasota over 20 years. 
uh, to write the book. Yeah. Sort of. Well, going, sort of, because or, you just, you live somewhere and you just pick stuff up. Right. You know? So, but are there other things that you're more conscious about? You say, for example, like this one, you wanted to learn more about Amish. Yeah. And so you, you have to go and uh, really study that. How, yeah. What kinds of things have you done in the past? That well, you another thing, like years ago, I took a um, boat tour on Sarasota Bay. It was part of Moat Marine Aquarium, offered the tour. And at the end of the tour, they they put down a bucket in the middle of the bay and then pulled it up. And everything that was in the bucket, they spread out on the deck of the boat. And then they, you know, there was a seahorse and there was a little starfish and and there and there were lots of things but one thing was this fish that had kind of blown itself up and had little spikes on it's like it like a puffer fish it was a puffer fish and the guy at the time the marine guy explained you know that you, you they're poisonous if you eat them hmm. and in japan it's quite a delicacy right, right, to have right. puffer fish but you have they have specially trained uh Japanese guys who know how to cut it because if you eat the liver, it'll, you know, it'll kill you. So that happened like 10 years ago. But when I was writing this book, I remembered that. It always stuck in the back of my mind that there was this fish that you might eat. And, and sure enough, it ends up in the book. So when you ask about the um, uh, research, it's like a, you pick up things years before and then they show up in a book later. Mary Jane Clark, I thank you very much. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here, Doug. Thank you. You've been listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. You can always find more information about us at www.writerstalk.org or www.facebook.com writerstalk. Until next time, this is Doug Dangler. Keep writing.